Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Arwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 86. On getting back to the room, Carissa takes a cookie and joins some other girls who are ranking the securities by how much they look like they really hope Nadal attacks so they can kill someone. Because if the people with individual questions for Keltham ceased immediately when she returned, then that really would look suspicious. The cookie is delicious. Message from Asmodia. Asmodia requested a fox's cunning and owl's wisdom in order to actually be able to come up with interesting questions for Keltham on the fly like that, which is in fact harder than people might think and can't be reliably done on future occasions. While she's still enhanced, Asmodia wants to say that she's worried about the lack of intra-project communication and proposes that a nap stack be set up for everyone tonight so that they can all stay up and get caught up on everything that's happened so far including whatever Savar considers to be the official line on Asmodia and on Keltham's romance pattern theory that they don't want him believing. Also, Ione asked Asmodia if she did, in fact, have superpowers and was now one of the special girls like Keltham thought. Asmodia told Ione that Milani came to her inside hell and granted her the power to cancel enchantment compulsions by hitting people on the head. Not true. It only occurred to Asmodia afterwards that there is probably some kind of policy constraining information about Keltham's pattern theory, since Asmodia hadn't already been told about it earlier. This is the sort of thing Asmodia thinks the knapstack plan might solve. A knapstack allowing for an evening briefing would be great. It'll oblige all the girls to sleep in a 30-foot radius, and Carissa can't predict whether Keltham will want her in his bed tonight— but maybe they can be ready to cast it tonight if she can join them and tomorrow if she can't. Carissa told Ione that Asmodia did not have superpowers. She's not totally impressed that Ione also asked Asmodia. Carissa would love for Asmodia to be more candid with her about what exactly they're covering for, but in the absence of that, the line on Asmodia is that she doesn't have superpowers. Obviously, because if she did, then that would have been reported to the Crown. Asmodia notes that she suspects Ione asked Asmodia first, since Asmodia can't order Ione not to ask security after that, and only then ask security, rather than first ask security and risk being ordered not to ask Asmodia. This is obviously the sort of attempted cleverness that you'd punish if Ione were punishable. And that Ione did it anyways is evidence, in Keltham's sense, that Ione thinks she's not punishable for that kind of transgression. Asmodia is confused about Project Lawful's stance on Ione. Asmodia did expect that Saver would say the official line is that Asmodia has no superpowers. The question is if the other girls should be told that Keltham thought she might be part of a romantic pattern. But Keltham rejected that theory after Asmodia falsely told Keltham that she wasn't a full asexual, but Asmodia is in fact one, which Keltham must not be allowed to suspect or told that Keltham said having no superpowers except being good at math would be on theme for an asexual. Asmodia feels like she keeps tripping up on inadequate information herself, and registers her own opinion that everyone who isn't Keltham should be told everything. Also, Asmodia herself requests, for whatever that's worth, to be read in on everything to do with Keltham's pattern, 
transcripts of anything he said about it anywhere. Asmodia registers, before she forgets, that she thought that two-thirds of the class going quiet during Keltham's conspiracy lecture was a bad look, and that Asmodia, Sevar, Pilar, Meritschel, and Yone should have some explicit policy about trading off turns on speaking up to cover any future frozen silences. Is it possible to train students out of going quiet like that? Asmodia imagines Keltham saying that you have to identify one person, at a time, who has the responsibility to speak up, so that the class doesn't look quiet. But you have to somehow do that in a way that makes the probabilities look the same to Keltham for which girl talks next. Asmodia apologizes for all this pestering. She is trying to say it all while the cunning and wisdom still hold. Carissa should try Owl's wisdom herself. Those are good suggestions. They're appreciated. Elias Abarco unilaterally negotiated some kind of thing with Ioni, and Carissa needs to figure out what to do about it. Everyone is pretty fed up with Ioni, but she seems to believe herself to be heroically saving the stupid Asmodeans from themselves, which is maybe useful. As soon as there's time, Carissa will read Asmodia in On the Patterns thing, and requests in the meantime that Asmodia contemplate whether, given what Carissa already knows, there's anything she could usefully be told about how hell can be made good for girls who've started down the path to death Um, there's a great solution actually, but it's secret, and Asmodia doesn't know if it works for anyone besides her. Asmodia messages back. I confirm I heard. She does not think she ought to acknowledge it as an order. The owl's wisdom and fox's cunning wear off nearly simultaneously. And it feels not like dying. She has died. Dying doesn't feel like this. For a second, Asmodia thought she could almost do it, almost think like Keltham does, match him on his own level and shape the probabilities he saw so that nothing would alarm him, if that's even what her sponsor wants. Asmodia messages. Security to cue a message for Savar. Next time she checks, she doesn't want to disturb Savar again now. The message says that if they're allowed to request anything they want in order to help the project, Asmodia thinks a headband of plus four intelligence and plus four wisdom might barely suffice to let her run the probability-shaping side of Cheliax's game against Keltham. Uh-huh. Security acknowledges this cued message. Asmodia almost had it, or she thinks so. Asmodia thinks she was almost seeing the way Keltham sees. In brief flashes, she didn't know how to put into words. This more likely, this less likely, shifting balances between them that shift other probabilities. And it excites her. She can see the game he's pointing to, between opposed Dathilani. She almost saw the game, and Asmodia wants to play it. And yes, she also wants an excuse to get the headband that she'd need to win. She can always fuck up deniably if it looks like her sponsor would want that. All thoughts thus read are duly recorded to be noted to Savar, along with Asmodia's intended message. Carissa meant it about giving all her slaves intelligence headbands because more capable people are just better. She has somewhat mixed feelings about this exact specific instance. Later. She can make that decision while Owl's wisdomed herself and possibly actually literally contact Hell about what Asmodia's whole deal is. But the fact of the matter is that she's not yet competent enough to win this game, and if Asmodia might be, 
and if Asmodia is on their side. But what in hell could possibly have put Asmodia on a different one? Certainly Asmodia having secret powers from hell is likelier in the case where hell saw a way to help them than in the case where someone is subverting the operations of hell. Lots likelier. Call it ten times likelier? A hundred? She tells security to tell Asmodia she's thinking about it. Asmodia is not, in fact, particularly expecting that Cheliax has a plus four INT plus four WIS headband available to give her. PL timestamp, day six, late afternoon. Keltham now continues upon his project of making random diving runs on probability, from random angles in hopes of conveying a fragmentary understanding to adults over days, instead of a true understanding to children over years. Based on how confused some people were at the end of the last session, assuming that wasn't an elaborate conspiracy distraction, as Carissa pretended to go to the bathroom while actually having frantic conversations about how Keltham might be onto them. Again, said out loud. Keltham starts by posing a bunch of mostly algebraic problems for deriving various quantities from others, what other places might call sheer math homework. Yes, he knows that he's using unknown dath, Ilani places and people and objects and statistics, and that he might as well be using gibberish words instead. He just doesn't know enough about Galarian to make up twelve realistic Galarian statistical problems, so just treat everything as algebra, please, and bear with the awfulness. The likelihood ratio on event A between events B and C is four. If the probability of B given A, denoted as P of B given A, is 68%, what was the probability of C given A, denoted as P of C given A? It's pretty tame awfulness by comparison to math homework in almost any Chellish math class. The main awful thing about it is how Keltham doesn't work any similar example problems before expecting you to solve the ones he poses. The other awful thing is that Keltham sometimes makes mistakes in his own math, and when that happens, he expects you to argue with him when he gives you the wrong answer. Keltham is constantly tracking the conspiracy world in his mind. That's part of this. He's living in both worlds simultaneously and distinctly and unhesitatingly. There's no pause in him about whether or not the conspiracy is real, for purposes of accusing Carissa of being in on it, within the conspiracy world. Keltham steps all the way mentally into the world where the conspiracy is just a thing and Carissa is just part of it, and then in that world when Sevar suddenly vanished away, to the bathroom. Obviously she was up to something in response to his own lecture, and obviously the other students' questions were meant as a distraction. Asmodia sees the game now, has seen the game, even without the enhancement spells she remembers. Cheliax can't rely on what anything looks like. They can't ask if it's a giveaway, or if it could just as reasonably be something else. Keltham isn't going to wonder each time whether or not the conspiracy is real, and mentally back down from labeling Carissa's departure as suspicious. Cheliax has to consider what everything will look like to Keltham while he's mentally inhabiting the world, where the conspiracy is just real, and there's no arguing with that. There was only one guaranteed correct move in that game, and it was to mentally live inside the Alter Cheliax world themselves, and just do what Alter Cheliax would do. Notice every time anyone's overt behavior departed from their behavior in Alter Cheliax, whether or not that looked like a giveaway at a first glance. Sevar needed to notice that the version of her not in the conspiracy world probably did not suddenly need to go to the bathroom, because Keltham did notice that. 
If that was even twice as likely on the conspiracy world as the ordinary world, and Keltham correctly estimates that, Asmodia has grasped by now that a lot of twice-as-likelies multiplied together can add up very fast. Only, they can't just live in alter Cheliacs either, she doesn't think. They can't win that way, convince Keltham it's all real. He doesn't know what the real conspiracy or real ordinary worlds would be like. They have to use that somehow. Asmodia sees the game, the game between true Dath Ilani. She can't properly play the game against Keltham without enhancement, but she can see how fast Cheliax is losing. They can lose it very quickly once Keltham gets oriented enough that he starts believing in his own numbers. Hours, not days. It's all there in the math. And that's enough of Keltham doing all the work of inventing homework problems himself. They've solved some. Now they should be able to make up their own probability problems. Everybody in class make up one probability problem, copy to a scrap of paper, write what you think is the correct answer on the other side of that scrap of paper, then pass it around for others to solve, starting with Keltham. A man is walking down the street in ostenso dressed in silk robes. What are the odds that he is a noble? You see a wizard cast a dimension door. What are the odds that the wizard is fifth circle? A bird that lands on your windowsill is behaving suspiciously. What is the odds that it's a polymorphed spy? Six students gave the exact same wrong answer on a math test. What is the odds that they cheated? He'd kind of meant to make up a problem like, here are three quantities, determine a fourth one algebraically, but that's fine. Those four students can just make up the key quantities needed and note them back down on their questions, right? They don't have to be right, just plausible. Though that fourth one is going to be kind of hard at their level. Yep. Say one in two hundred people is a noble, and all nobles wear fine clothes, and so do one hundredth of non-nobles. Say that all wizards who cast Dimension Door are at least fourth circle, and a third of fourth circle casters are fifth. But fifth circle casters would be twice as likely to cast Teleport in that situation. Say that, uh, nine hundred ninety-nine, one thousand birds are just birds and birds behave suspiciously one-slash-one-hundredth of the time, whereas spies behave suspiciously 80% of the time. Say that a quarter of students cheat on math tests, and that a student cheating off another would definitely have gotten that wrong answer, and a student who wasn't might have a one-in-five chance of making that mistake by chance. Carissa has a feeling that a quarter of students do not cheat on math tests in Dathilan, but whatever, it probably would be true in Alter Cheliacs. Maybe even more true with the lack of whippings. Do they whip students for cheating in Taldor? Keltham is actually a lot more worried about, one, the total number of students taking the math test, from among whom those six students were found, and two, whether it is actually the case that one in 1,000 birds around here isn't a real bird. Probably a hundred students took the math test. No one is sure what percentage of birds are legitimate birds. One in a thousand doesn't sound egregiously wrong. Probably it's much less in forest, but in places where wizards hang out, they wouldn't all be polymorphed spies, but they could be familiars or trained scryfocus animals. Obviously here the forbiddens will kill birds that enter it. Running some numbers off the back of his head, Keltham estimates there are around 100 billion birds in Dath Ilan. Golarion's population is one billion. Is 10% of the population creating bird spies or bird familiars, or is 1% of the population making 10 bird spies each? 
Are there many fewer birds in this world somehow? It is news to the students that there are 100 billion birds in Doth Elon. They would not have guessed there were that many here. No, wizards don't average 10 bird spies apiece. I think they're answering, like, the chance a bird is somebody's familiar if you see a bird landing on the windowsill and watching you at Ostenso Academy. I mean, if it's riding around on somebody's shoulder, it's much more likely than that to be a familiar. Okay, then. Was there some very interesting thing that would have been implied otherwise? Like, is there something that we're all hiding from you in the conspiracy world? But if we say 0.1% of birds are spies, then you've caught us? It would potentially imply a much larger planetary population than I'd been told about, which corresponds to a set of situations where the conspiracy has much more resources to throw at me than they'd like me to know about. Wow. I was not expecting that question to have a real answer. Of course you'd say that if you were in on the conspiracy. Would I actually, though, or... You know, never mind. This is a huge digression, isn't it? It really, really is. And I should maybe have thought twice about bringing up the topic, because it just goes down that thing, conversations can go down forever and ever. Keltham resumes trying to drill basic probability algebra from some different angles. Consider the probability that a fifth circle wizard knows teleport, and the probability that a fifth circle wizard knows dimension door. Given the quantities... The probability of dimension door given fifth circle is 40%. The probability of teleport or dimension door given fifth circle is 80%. The probability of teleport and dimension door given fifth circle is 30%. How many fifth circle wizards know teleport? Security. Pass to Ioni and copy Savar. Ioni, I know you'll say that was what Alter Ioni would have said in Alter Cheliacs but I think it was still a misstep. Keltham himself may think that people are twice as likely to probe him about conspiracy questions in the world where there's a conspiracy. And if he thinks that, you just screwed us. Once he starts believing his own numbers, it only takes 10 things like that for the probability to go from 0.1% to more than 100%. Wait, that can't be right. Still, don't. Reply. You don't get it because you're Asmodeans. You don't understand the world you're trying to fake. People who aren't risking torture for asking wrong questions will ask things like that. Somebody needed to be clever at him, or Keltham would notice nobody was allowed to be clever around him. He comes from Dothilan. Do you think nobody there dares ask a question like that? Strongly seconding Asmodia. Also, that conversation was pretty similar to the conversation you asked earlier to have, and I told you no. When I tell you no, I don't just mean don't do the exact specific thing you were denied permission for. The denial should have obviously been understood to encompass having excessively meta-flirtatious conversations with Keltham about whether we're in a conspiracy, in general, until you've convinced me that they are a good idea, which you haven't yet. Ignoring orders because you think you're smarter makes you incredibly costly to work with, and if you're incredibly costly to work with, then I'll direct them, when this falls apart, to turn you into a statue rather than let you run off with Keltham and reap the benefits of fucking up our project, and to put the statue somewhere where it serves Cheliax if it explodes. Understood? Understood. I think you're making a fatal mistake. But I acknowledge that it's your fuck-up to choose and not mine. If that's what Asmodeus wants from Nethys, 
I'll obey. I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Okay, math. Gotta do math. Wait, does her curse make her explode if she goes too long without reading? Ione has not previously been notified of this. Ione should probably find this to be a very cool and exciting prospect, right? Ione is very grateful to Lord Nethys for giving her a curse that makes her explode. It probably even helps protect her from silly Asmodians. It's a protective explosion. An explosion of kindness. Ione is very grateful. It doesn't interfere with Nefredi Klopati bringing her back, though, right? Obviously right. Lord Nethys wouldn't make an oracle just to deliver one prophecy and later explode Takaral. Ione does have some remaining purpose other than exploding, right? So, Gregoria says, The probability that a fifth circle wizard has Dimension Door is 40%, and the probability that a fifth circle wizard has one of Dimension Door or Teleport is 80%, and the probability that a fifth circle wizard has both of Dimension Door and Teleport is 30%? Am I reading all the symbols right? Does the or include the ones who have both? Yep, correct on all those. Or includes both. Okay, so, a hundred fifth circle wizards. Eighty of them have some teleportation magic. Of those, thirty have both. That leaves fifty who have one but not the other. And forty have dimension door. But that's counting the thirty who have both. So ten have dimension door and not teleport. So forty have teleport and not dimension door. Did I do that wrong? I feel like I wasn't using the rule we learned earlier. Well, I agree that 40% of five top circle wizards have teleport, but not dimension door. So what's the answer? 70, right? Possibly. What do you think is the probability you're right? I don't know. Lower. Since you asked that. Well, everyone close your eyes, then raise your hands from the lowest level for zero probability to the highest level you can reach for one probability. There's a pretty obvious split between the students who'd solved the problem themselves by the time Gregoria volunteered an answer, and the students who hadn't, and are just trying to guess off general principles of how Keltham enjoys torturing people. Keltham is starting to get the impression there's tiers of students here, even in this population already selected on intelligence. Carissa, Asmodia, Ioni, Meritzel, Pilar, Paranza, Gregoria, Tonia, everyone else. Well, it's not a very nice outcome. But it is well known that sometimes in a startup, somebody has to take responsibility for deciding that not everyone has the same ability level, and maybe not everyone gets to stick around. Part of him wants to wait and see if intelligence headbands fix everything, but maybe now that governance is taking the project more seriously, the correct thing to do is put those headbands on smarter people. They're almost a week in, and a week is when they said that their original one-week contracts ran out. Arch, he hates this and must think about it eventually, but will think about it later. He's too selfish to just decide that people need to get fired for the good of Galarian. The personal awfulness is looming large compared to that. Anyways, Keltham walks through the derivation by rules. The probability of teleport or dimension door equals the probability of teleport plus the probability of dimension door minus the probability of teleport and dimension door. Obviously, you can get the fourth quantity, if you have any of the other three, because algebra, and that's all they need to do here. The probability of teleport equals the probability of teleport or dimension door, minus the probability of dimension door, plus the probability of teleport and dimension door, which calculates to 0 0.8 minus 0 0.4 plus 0 0.3, resulting in 70%.
The proof that this is all still true conditional on everyone being a fifth circle wizard is left as an exercise for later. Actually, Keltham doesn't think he's formally given them all the axioms they'd need for that, so making up the required axioms is also part of the exercise. Ione would, given her own reign, point out to Keltham right now that nobody has actually set aside time during the day for anybody to do homework exercises. Sever? Yes, go ahead. I observe that there is not, currently, any time actually set aside in anybody's schedule for doing exercises later. That's really a very good point. Ione, how come you are the only person present who ever says anything when I risk piling too much stuff on people before they've had an owl's wisdom, or when I don't notice that nobody has any scheduled off hours unless I happen to decide to snuggle Carissa, and then she doesn't have any off hours? It's possible they'd give you a different answer, but I'd say it's a Nethys versus Asmodeus thing. Isn't Nethys neutral everything? You'd think that evil would take better care of itself? You might hope that, but unfortunately, it's the kind of evil where they all want to do incredibly well in class and master all the material and get promoted and become rich, and not the kind of evil where anyone anywhere along the line will ever ask for a ten-minute break. Some guy I talked to said that Nethys was the god of insanity and self-destruction, along with magic and knowledge. Yes, that's all very true, and yet... Well, keep me informed. Ione would like to note that she did not plan for that to happen right now, and she knows it's not a good look that it happened right now, but she nonetheless had those answers prepared, because it was incredibly obvious that Keltham would eventually notice and ask. And Dath Elon is closer to Nathesian than Asmodean in several ways that only she understands, and people should let her explain it at some point. Keltham, does Dath Elon have a military? Like, people whose full-time job is to be ready to fight wars if there were one. There's a potential military that's supposed to be very rapidly actualizable, so as to not make it easy to take over civilization by being the only faction with a military. I'm not sure what you mean by full-time job. There are industries where people work four hours every other day for normal wages, and there's much smaller industries where everybody works ten hours a day with one day off every six days for much higher wages. Since the military isn't actually fighting anybody, the people who maintain it in potentia and a state of readiness, or who crew the serious weapons, are four-hour people. If an actual fight started, they'd convert to fourteen hours a day until it was over. They do practice runs to make sure they can. You know, even if you had a military, you'd do everything differently enough. Maybe the intuition wouldn't transfer. So, at the World Wound, the first thing you do with new recruits is 70-hour weeks of physical exercises and training and digging ditches and stuff, because the first thing you need to learn to serve in a military is how to do the thing that's been assigned to you, alongside other people you can similarly rely on to do the thing assigned to them. It's not about good or evil. The paladins have basically the same thing. Maybe in Dath Ilan you teach everyone enough law explicitly that they have that expectation of common doing the job without having gone through a really long, hard time of doing the job, but we don't. So that's how we build it. And obviously in some situations you want your soldiers to exercise initiative and argue with their orders and point out problems they observe, but that sounds hard isn't generally a situation where you do. As long as you're sourcing your girls from ones who are cleared to take the world-wound oath, and I think you probably should be sourcing from that, it's the only bar we've got for, for being at all ready to start on this path. 
then you're sourcing from people in training to spend the next decade of their lives in a brutal fight in the fucking tundra against an infinite horde of demons, and no, they're not going to complain that they've got more tasks assigned than hours in the day. I have no idea what Ioni's life plans are, but I have a weird suspicion that while she's cleared for the world wound, she actually just wants to do Nethys things which involve no boot camp at all. That's what it's called, boot camp. I don't know how that'd translate. I think I can guess it, but Ioni, your response. You're not helping me, Keltham. But still, she can guess civilization's answer, that Keltham wants to hear from Nethys. Digging ditches isn't the same as figuring out law. Yeah, mental performance degrades as you work longer hours in a day, and some things rely on peak mental performance. There are, though they are rarer, four-hour industries that pay higher than the ten-hour ones, and the people in those industries don't try to do more than four hours of work per day because they'd start making mistakes. I've been stupid here. Even if you want to work long hours for great profit, which I mean... We're all young, and it's not like I've been keeping myself down to ten hours. I should still be trying to schedule the peak-dependent, hardest mental work that takes a fox's cunning earlier in the day. I have been doing that with myself, and learning wizard spells, which is more straightforward during the evening, but I wasn't properly optimizing that for everyone else. And you still need any time to think about things on your own, or just catch your breath. Yep, I agree with that. If the long hours weren't a deliberate move for Dothilan reasons, then the hours should be considerably shorter, and there should be unscheduled downtime. But as a psychology fact you're using to predict the world, it's not going to break down good evil, it's going to break down law chaos. Or at least that's what I'd predict, because the lawful countries take kids like us and raise them to close the hole in the planet. Which is the wrong set of habits for the situation we're now in. But the same set you'll find in Lastval when you go there. Or Mendev. Carissa is being completely truthful about this. Paladins are famously inclined to work themselves to death to the point where much of the labor of paladin orders is getting them to do that a little slower. I own you counterpoint? None particularly. She's got a lot more experience, and I'm more running around flailing at what look to me like fires than I am operating from any kind of theory or plan here. Ioni has never left Chiliax, and has assumed that this is something about Asmodeanism, as opposed to something about law as implemented in Galarian in a fit of heretical self-righteousness. Carissa shrugs. I had a paladin tell me once that much of what paladin orders are for is that the kind of person who becomes a paladin will work themselves to death by twenty-five, and you've got to make them eat and sleep and tend their injuries so they can at least die doing something important. In Dathilan, that would noticeably correlate with, um, being the sort of person who wants to release Rovagug, actually. Is that not the case here? Huh? Well, I haven't met anyone who wants to free Rovagug, but paladins definitely don't. They'd say, uh, that when you try to cause great harms to people for the greater good of people, then you end up just causing the harms and not getting the greater good, or that the world will be worth fighting for as long as there exist any innocence in it, or that murder is wrong, or just that that's not what Eomade says they should do, depending which specific paladins you talked to. She is again not lying, though paladins generally don't talk to the Asmodeans directly. 
You can get it secondhand or by joining a conversation out of uniform and not specifying where you're from. I guess there's an obvious thought here that's, in Dathilan, you need a particular kind of mentally broken good to think there's anything wrong with the world that requires 16-hour workdays from you. And in Galarion, the world just is in that much in trouble, so the good people who believe it is aren't systematically broken as they'd be in Dath Ilan. Still, not a conclusion to jump to. I should think about it later. Regardless of good, evil, law, chaos, Asmodeus, Nethys, militaries, paladins, researchers, and world-wound oaths. One observes that Ioni thought in a sufficiently different way from everyone else, to be the first person to point out to me when I was making a particular kind of mistake, twice in a row. This is what civilization would call cognitive diversity. Diversity of thought, and is much of the point of having more than one kind of person working on a project. Though I'm speaking very blindly myself, the very generic caution that jumps into my own mind is that it can be a mistake to try to attribute something like that to very particular attributes of Nethys, Asmodeus, Neutrality, lawful evil. Sometimes what happens is that Ione had one number for her threshold about pointing out a problem, and everybody else here had the same different number. Even if the numbers had been generated at random, that might still happen, so it can be a mistake to explain it too much by pointing to specifics. Ione is an outlier, in a certain dimension, more different from the rest of you than you are different from each other, in that dimension. To the extent everyone with Asmodeus or with Nethys mostly thinks about something the same way, somewhere, the Nethys-Asmodeus axis matters. It's not a contest among twelve people to see who comes in first. It's a contest of whether Ioni comes in first or somebody else does, if you see what I'm saying. I mention all this because it is another thing that seems like it might be different for world-wound militaries and research projects. It's a good opening for... I've actually been thinking we should ask the site manager for more people, now that we know more. Notable mathematicians, more senior wizards, people who might have additional diversity of thought from several angles. And, yeah, maybe we're over-interpreting, but it definitely seems like there's got to be some things we're missing because all of them just finished wizard school and I've spent my entire adult life in the tundra. Civilization has an awful lot of ideas and best practices about starting up efforts like this one, all of them attuned to a very different world. If I took their conventional wisdom straight, the part of this project that masters the way of law should be trying to obtain an even younger INT-19, an 18S, with high wisdom. To be clear, I won't try to date anyone a year younger than myself, for other best practice reasons. On conventional wisdom, you might have an old, knowledgeable ex-mathematician sit in, but they'd have to be careful about who they talk to besides me, and you'd be pleasantly surprised if they started wielding law themselves. The applied side of the project would conventionally be the part where you bring in metallurgists while you work on metallurgy, or more senior wizards if you work on magic, or have extremely well-read people on staff who act as a kind of living library. That's probably even more important when you can't search inside the texts of the books you actually have. In both cases, it is a proverb that no quantity of weird people can compensate for a corporate culture that doesn't know to use weirdness effectively. Carissa, Iona, Asmodia, Marichel, I probably want to talk with all of you about that later today, if you can go onward a bit further without getting quite as much rest as everybody else.
I won't try to date anyone a year younger than myself, for other best practice reasons. How do you corrupt someone like that? That makes sense. I think. No immediate questions about the bits that might not make sense, at least. I think we should get a day of the week without lessons, Gregoria says boldly. Some schools give Oath Day off and you can sleep in and catch up on homework and things. Thank you, Gregoria. Positive reinforcement for somebody other than Ioni speaking out. In general, yes, obviously. In respect to tomorrow, say, I'd mostly been assuming that we managed to get some time off in the wake of the Nadal attack. Well, no, I'd gotten some time off myself, and didn't think about checking on whether anyone else had. Did you? Yes. We had two mostly quiet days aside from soul arrangements. Not an emergency, but I didn't experience the aftermath of the Nadal attack as time off. Noted. I'll chalk it up as a reason to check faster whether I can be romantic with more than one person at a time, now that I can be romantic with anyone at all. Even if the answer is no, you'll at least get some time off while I check. I apologize for having not previously set sensible schedules, and the solution to this, I do realize, is probably not to immediately call an all-hands meeting about it. My social reflexes assume people will spontaneously complain at me when I do things like this. I will try to recalibrate those reflexes toward asking people explicitly. This recalibration will be slow and imperfect. While anybody can complain at me while I'm learning, there should also be a single person who is commonly known to be the one responsible for doing so. Ione, are you up for it? Let me think a moment about whether I can handle that responsibility. Orders, Savar? Yep. Plays to your strengths. This is only a bit sarcastic, and she expects the sarcasm won't make it through the security relay. All right, I'm up for it. I declare Savar is the one person responsible for telling me if I'm screwing up. You're learning. So, I think what I should do right now is write down a problem set to think over for tomorrow, under Fox's cunning. Later, and after resting, if you're mentally fatigued right now, so the staff's Fox's cunnings for today don't go to waste due to my failure to front-load them. People who ended up in the holding cell are forbidden to discuss this problem set with each other, but are free to talk to anyone not in the holding cell. And then I'll go off and give you all a break while I try to hang a first-circle wizard spell with just a security helping me there. This problem set is a collection of law fragments of probability, phrased in non-mathematical ways. The exercise is to see how far you can get, on how many, in translating them into proper law. 1. Your strength in the way is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality. If you're equally good at explaining any outcome you can see, that's the same as not knowing anything. 2. Surprising claims require surprising evidence. Unsurprising evidence suffices for unsurprising claims. 3. No empirical theory can prove itself except by risking its disproof. 4. To convince me of your theory, make a correct prediction that no other theory makes. 5. A precise true prediction is much more convincing than an imprecise true one. 6. It is impossible to coherently expect to convince yourself of anything. 7. You can't expect anyone else to convince you of something either, even if you think they're controlling everything you see. Hash 7 is obviously some kind of incredible key to the game between true Dathilani, and Asmodia can already guess that she's not going to get it without Hash 6, 
and probably not get hash six without some of the others, and a fox's cunning, and maybe owl's wisdom too. Security. Urgent advisory to Sivar. You just got put on a time limit. I'm guessing that hash six and hash seven blow things up when Keltham explains them. Carissa would find it really annoying how convinced Ioni is that everyone will stop being Asmodean as soon as they think about it, except my y'all seems to agree, and you can't be annoyed with people for being right. Acknowledged. She sends instead and copies down the assignment. Off Keltham goes to try again to hang a silent image. Given the way that other people can create nice-looking illusions without presumably anything like the work of visualizing every detail into their visual cortex, it probably works by creating something that will look right to the caster, and if that's true, Keltham has tons of important visual memories that might be extractable that way. Security is happy to help with a visual of his scaffold and advice as appreciated. When he does get it on something like the eighth try, it's oddly exhausting like he's just been engaged in vigorous exercise for an hour instead of sitting here trying to make magic flow properly. But it hangs, and there it is for him to cast if he'd like to. Sounds like I have the evening off. Can we arrange the knapsack? Carissa asks security. Yep, can do. You'll all have to sleep in the temple. It's the only concealed from Keltham's space that's large enough with no walls that'd block the spell emanation. Fine. Great. Everyone, tonight you get six extra hours. Half of that's your personal time. Don't spend it on homework, because in Alter Chaliax, you wouldn't have had it to spend on homework. The other half is for a briefing, so everyone knows everything that's going on. There's a lot. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.